Welcome to the Period Story Podcast, the podcast where we get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods. We chat with women about their period story, their first period, their journey ever since, and we open up a conversation to help break taboos and stigmas around menstruation. I'm your host, Denise Brothers. I'm a yoga teacher and registered nutritionist specializing in women's health, hormones, and the menstrual cycle. I'm also the author of You Can Have a Better Period, the book Publishers Weekly calls an empowering debut, an informative, refreshing take on women's health. It's available from Amazon, Bookshop, and anywhere else you purchase books. I am so thrilled to share my conversation with Januke Alway, the co-founder of Five Times More, which is an amazing organization that campaigns for better Black maternal health outcomes in the UK. This is a fantastic conversation. We get into the campaigning work that Januke does with her co-founder. We talk about the stories of her two pregnancies and birth, and we, of course, talk about the story of her very first period. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Tunuke. I'm so excited to speak to you, learn how, about the amazing work that you're doing. Um, but let's first talk about the story of your very first period. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Okay, so I feel like it was a little bit uneventful because I can't remember it. I, don't, <laughs> I barely remember it. Um, I was on holiday that I remember. Um, and this was like the, so between year six and year seven. So I remember I was going into secondary school. I remember that much. And my mum just, you know, fannying around trying to get me like pads and whatever. Cause we weren't, we weren't kind of weren't expecting it. So, um, yeah, that was, that's all as I remember. I remember, I think at first I remember looking down and thinking, oh my God, like I've been wounded. Like, oh my, what's happened? Um, and then I was like, mom, <laughs> um, and then, yeah, she got me, she got me some pads, told me about, you know, my periods and it's going to happen every month. And she, she asked me what I wanted to use. Like, did I want to use tampons or did I want to use pads? And I was like, oh my God, tampons, I'm not sticking anything up me. Let's go with pads. Um, and that was about it. Okay. So you were 11, 12? Yes. Okay. And had any of your friends at school got their periods yet? No, I think I was one of the first. Yeah, I was one of the first. And what was that experience like, you know, being one of the first at school? And were you in a mixed school? Yes, I was. I was in a mixed school, mixed primary school, mixed secondary school as well. Um, I guess it was it was not too bad. There was one other girl who had got her period. I didn't I don't think I really spoke to anyone about it that much, to be fair. You were one of the first of your friends to um, get your period, and then you, your mom talked to you about what was what was happening, and then what was your experience like? You know, was it kind of heavy? Was it? Was do you experience any pain, or was it just kind of really easy? It was really easy. Yeah, it was. I didn't really experience pain. Um, I guess I, I'm kind of used to being one of the first because I was the first one to like get like boobs as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so and just kind of you know just you crack on you know. Yeah. Um. It, yeah. I just remember it being really easy and, and I, I kind of because my mum had explained about her periods before. I remember one time I'd gone into the toilet just to you know children just sit and chat with their mums. <laughs> um and. I, I remember quite vividly her rolling 
um, a pad like into some tissue and then putting it into a bin. And I was like, mum, what are you doing? And she was like, oh, I get my period, you know, as a woman, you, you normally, you know, you get a period every month. And um, she and she explained about, the, you know, the, the period. And, and I was like, oh, do you, does it hurt? And she was like, no, it doesn't really hurt. Um, but yeah, my mum was quite open with all that kind of stuff, which is good, like considering, you know, I come from like an African, Nigerian background. She was really open with that kind of stuff. So I guess when the period came, she was just like, okay, your period's here now, let's go get your pads. Like she was, she was really, you know, she, she didn't make me feel embarrassed or anything like that. She just told me, you know, make sure you're really clean, make sure you clean yourself properly and dispose of your pads correctly, um, that kind of thing. But yeah, it was it's pretty normal. Yeah. So you you said that your mom was quite open because and which is unusual because you come from an a Nigerian background. Why why does that make it unusual? Because we don't really tend to talk about these kind of things like <laughs> sex and periods and uh, like it's just kind of hush hush like you know it happens but no one really no one really speaks about it. not what not your Nigerian mom at least but my mom's just always been very. Um, she wears her heart on her sleeve and she's very like open and stuff like that doesn't phase her. Like she, she talks to me about stuff like she'd been talking to me since a, quite a young age. She's very open and honest about her feelings, what she's going through, maybe a bit too honest. But <laughs> 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 she's, she's angry, everyone knows it. Um, but yeah, like she's always been, you know, it's, that kind of thing. It's not really a taboo kind of subject. She's quite like, free about things like that like I think she's always been she's always been a little bit different so when I talked to I remember like some kind of talking to my, my friends about some of the conversations me and my mum would have they'll be like wow your mum talks to you about that and I'm like doesn't your mum but hey I guess yeah that, that's normal to me but it's not normal to you know a lot of people my age who have maybe grown up in Nigerian households where their parents are you know very very strict and don't talk about these kind of things yeah and so you said you were the one of the first of your friends to get your period and uh, get their period. And yeah. so when they got their periods, were they then coming to you for advice and with questions? No, I guess because it was a weird transition between year six to year seven. I kind of got into year seven and kind of, yeah, like no one really spoke about it, I guess. It's just maybe you'd use it as an excuse. Oh, so I'm on my period. Like, oh, I might need to go to the doctor's office if you kind of <laughs> wanted to skype off class. Um, but no one really spoke about it. Okay, that's interesting. And then, so you mentioned your periods were quite easy in yeah. the beginning. Did they continue to be easy? Yeah, yeah. I say my periods pretty much only changed when I had my children. Okay. okay. Yeah. How, how did they change? <sighs> After my son, they became a lot heavier but after my daughter they became very painful okay and I've heard that can happen um I don't know if it's a second child or because it's a girl extra hormones I don't know I've read quite a few things online but um I found a very big difference um especially after the second okay yeah so what did you do about it good question so after I had my second it was during the pandemic all right so trying to get any kind of help from any kind of health professional was an absolute no-no. Um, I did speak to the women in my community about it, actually, because it felt like it was debilitating pain the first two, three days after my period. I would literally be on the floor. It, would, it was so, so painful. I dread. I'd have to, like, 
you know, take a concoction of painkillers beforehand to just, you know, minimize that pain. And so I was like, this isn't normal. Let me speak, let me speak up about it. Let me, you know, put it in my online community and see if anyone else has ever experienced that, um, especially after having a child, which some people said, you know, it's, 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 it happens. Yeah. Um, and it's happened to them, but they were like, look, go to the doctors, go to the GP. Um, if it continues like that, cause that's, that doesn't sound normal, but I never managed to get an appointment because it was COVID times. And they're like, every time I would call, don't come in, you know, it's just that scary <laughs> kind of lockdown time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I actually didn't, didn't get in any appointments. And I guess over maybe like three, four, five months, it kind of eased off and I haven't really been worried about it since. Okay, yeah. so so really, your whole experience of your your periods, apart from those two moments after you gave birth, has been re- like relatively easy. Yeah, apart from recently. Now, this is probably TMI, but hey, we are talking about periods, so that, I guess that's yeah. There's <laughs> no void. There's no TMI here. Um, I recently went to go and get a blood test done because my periods, my PMS, most especially, have been. They've been awful um, the past, I would say, six months. Um, And I've been quite, um, like, very conscious about my cycle. And, like, I got uh, the Flow app, which, for me, has been really helpful in helping me understand, like, that this that my my whole cycle and the different stages and phases and like all of this kind of stuff I never never had any interest in it before it's just my period just came and it, and it went and that was it but when I noticed that you know there's been sort of a change in my periods I was like what's going on here let me let me try and track it and see what's going on and then I realized that my god my this PMS stage is is getting progressively worse like their symptoms are just awful and then I mentioned it to a friend and she was like you might need to go and check out for your thyroid because this is crazy. So I booked um I, I you know I booked a blood test with the Jeep. Well, actually, I just told my GP what was going on in terms of my PMS and how I just don't feel myself um whilst that period is going on. And she was like, sounds like you know, might be a thyroid problem. So I'm like, okay, two people, one health professional saying might be, let's go and get a blood test. So I'm still waiting on the results. That was literally uh I think I took the blood test like a couple of weeks ago. So I'm waiting on the results. That's so interesting where you you th- you noticed there were changes in what you were experiencing in the time before your period. And then you decided to track what was happening to you, track your symptoms, and then the kind of proactivity to be able to just go to the doctor and say, like, this is what's going on. I think that's quite important to share because, you know, I hear this all the time, you know, I hate, you know, the week before my period, I turn into a different person. But a lot of women, they just live with it because they feel like, well, that's just what society tells us is is supposed to happen. So I think it's really great that you've been so proactive and also great that your doctor was listened to you because, you know, you know, and I know we're going to get into this shortly, but, you know, doctors tend to not listen to women, especially black women. So kudos to you for, for going and, and doing that. And so you're waiting for the results. Um, yeah. And then I'm sure you're going to explore more about what's, what could potentially be going on. Yeah. Cause it's got to be something I've gone from like having normal, pretty decent, okay periods to like you said, turn into a different person. My emotions are like spiky and everything's just, you know, crazy. And then like, 
the other symptoms like sweat, sweating profusely and like, all of these different things. And we're like, okay, if you don't tell me something's wrong, I'm going to be worried now. You know, it's almost yeah. like th- there clearly is something wrong because there wasn't before and now there is. And you can't, I'm almost expecting something there for, for, for there to be something wrong because it's just too different. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I, I, I guess it is about being open. Yeah. Because if I didn't speak to my friend about that, maybe I wouldn't have called the GP and to say, actually, hey, you know, so yeah, being being open with that. Like I, I guess, you know, thanks, mom. Um, she's made me quite <laughs> a person who's, you know, I don't mind being vulnerable, I don't mind being open. Like, like that's kind of you know why I started like everything that I do. I'm sure we'll get into that later, but it's all about like having that level of vulnerability and putting yourself out there. But it's it had it has so much strength. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that, I mean, this is a great time to talk more about what you do. So you, I mean, you have a lot of, you have a lot of different roles. So I want to talk first about five times more, you know, can you talk firstly about what it, what it is, what the, um, what the platform is and why you started it? Sure. So Five Times More is an organization dedicated to changing and highlighting Black maternal um, outcomes in the UK. Historically, Black women were five times more likely to die, hence the name. Um, It's now 3.7. And we basically try to change the outcomes in four different ways. We lobby the government, first and foremost. Um, We have our Black Maternal Health, um, APPG, um, and we've had, um, you know, a a petition. We give evidence sessions in Parliament. We try to make sure we put pressure on those in power um, to make those changes, you know, put a target in and things like that. And then we train health professionals on some of the myths and the stereotypes. that um you know that exist um especially within the health sector um and the history of black women and gynecology especially um we give women free resources um i think that first and foremost is is the most important thing um because of my previous experiences um it's important to make sure that women um, feel empowered and um confident going into their um birthing experience their pregnancies and their birthing experiences um and then the last thing we do is research and reports. So earlier this year, we launched the Black Women's Maternity Experience Report, which documented um, over 1,300 um, Black women's experiences of giving birth in the last five years. It's never been done before on this scale in the UK, despite the statistics being as high um, as they are for black women um for decades now so um yeah we were just very tired of people saying you know they can't find women to take part in research or they don't know much about black women's experiences well for a number of reasons we're not complaining there's so many things there but we now have you know a report that documents um a lot of some of the things that we already know anecdotally but now it's just there in a report form so that you know health professionals can pick it up anyone can pick it up and read it and there's a lot of learning in there so can you talk a little bit more about this stat five times now it's 3.7 times more black women are more likely to have a a negative maternal health outcome do you know what the reason is behind that like have you have you gotten to the bottom of that it's um it's a difficult one 
So we take our statistics from Embrace and um, Embrace um, for, I think, for a number of years now have been collecting the data on maternal deaths. So it's maternal deaths, not not negative outcomes, it's maternal deaths. Okay, maternal deaths, okay. Um, And if you actually look at the statistics and you look at the reports over the years, you see that actually black women are not dying from anything more than what white women are dying from so it's not a case of they're dying more from preeclampsia or diabetes or so they're dying from the same things exactly the same things but just at a higher rate so there's a clear overrepresentation of black women in those statistics because we only account for a very small number of births so for us it was very much like okay well if you look at that statistic that's wild in itself and it's been going on for a long time but what about those behind the statistics we know about the deaths but we don't know about the morbidity the illness the other things that come you know that are not necessarily documented anywhere which is why the you know black maternity experience report is so important because they are the voices behind the statistics but in terms of why this is happening this is exactly why we exist because we want to know why we Mm. don't you know why we know what the statistics tell us but you know we actually want to know why this is the case um i would say there are a number of different reasons you can't pinpoint it on just just one there are a number of different factors at play there so talk a little bit about some of the myths and the stereotypes that you'll you you try to combat or or re-educate around so some of the myths are that you know black women are strong you know that's actually a stereotype black women are strong and that comes from a very long history like i said of black women in gynecology um so the godfather of gynecology the person who's coined the godfather of you know modern obstetrics i can never say that word modern obstetrics um is dr james marion sims and obviously trigger warning for anyone who's listening he performed some really inhumane um procedures on black slaves at the time under the guise that black women black people do not feel pain have thicker nerve uh, thicker skin different nerve endings almost subhuman so um he perfected um the instrument the sim speculum which you use for you know gynecological examinations he perfected that on black women um and he did not use any kind of pain relief um he did really awful things to them and then he took it you know, into the hospitals with the white women under anesthesia and all of this kind of stuff. But what people don't know is that a lot of what he wrote was actually written down in some of the um, the journals, the medical journals at the time. And so it was a very common belief that, well, black people don't feel pain. Black people have, you know, are, are subhuman. And that has actually transpired a lot through the years you might think oh gosh slavery was such a long time ago get over it but we're still seeing seeing the effects of that today Mm. Um, and I'll give you an example um in in recent times um I think it was in 2007 a med a nursing textbook was published and they um had a section a chapter on you know how to assess people due uh, due on their race based on you know their pain you know how how they how they react to pain basically on their race and um (laughs) it's just said some really racist and stereotypical things about how different races express pain or not and that wasn't pulled off the shelves until it was called out in 2012 that was less than 10, that was 10 years ago. So that was still in circulation. And it said, you know, black people don't feel pain. Black people are strong. These kind of myths, 
and stereotypes. Um, there's another study that was done on doctors, or, or I think medical students, actually, not doctors, um, on how they um, basically assess people based on their pain and it, how much medication, pain medication they would give. And they, again, held these beliefs that Black people don't feel as much pain. They administered less pain relief. And um, yeah, like, I think that was in 2016. So yes, we are still feeling the effects of what happened all those years ago. Those myths, those stereotypes, they still exist. Black, black people do not feel like they're listened to when it comes to um, not just maternity, all areas. Because it's not, we don't just see the poor outcomes in maternity because in maternity, Yes, you have the mortality rates are higher, miscarriage rates are higher, stillbirth is higher in black women. It seems like, you know, we're at the bottom of the rung when it comes to all of the statistics. But you've got to look at things like diabetes, like cancer, like all these other areas where black people have the worst outcomes, COVID. And so, yes, there's a, there's a lot there to unpack. Um, but I think it's important that we are having these discussions because a lot of health professionals don't necessarily know um, and you can't change something that you don't know about. Yeah, so exactly. It's important that we, you know, raising that, raising that alarm and making sure that, yeah, people, people are aware so that they can, you know, change that internalized kind of learned behavior. Yeah. Even simple things like um, I saw there was a guy who was, he, I think he started by tweeting about it. He was a medical student talking about, you know, the things that you look at in darker skin that, you know, you, you, all of the kind of examples that were given in medical textbooks were based on white skin. And, you know, you just, it doesn't present the same way in darker skin. Um, and just simple things like that, where people have used this kind of, you know, this white skin, white bodies as a kind of foundation, even something like BMI, which is based on... Get me started. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started. Yeah, like, it's just all of these foundations that we're, like, challenging now, then it's so, so important because it's, you know, we have to change these negative and, like, and really, but like, negative health outcomes across all of these different areas. I really, I think the work that you do is so powerful. And I, I remember seeing your, the campaign in like around like June, 2020 um, and thinking, yeah. And like the selfies with the hand, I thought yeah. they were so powerful. Um, so I, I'm just really personally thrilled to be speaking to you today um, and Thank talk you. a little bit more about the advocacy that you do within the government. Yeah. So we had a petition that went sort of I'll give you the backstory of that. Actually, the petition um, to improve Black maternal healthcare outcomes for Black women that went viral in God. When was George Floyd murdered? I think it was around May or June of 2020. So we had a petition. Um, we launched it in March, but, but because COVID was getting a bit serious, and I was heavily pregnant with my second. We decided not to kind of promote it because we just wanted to, you know, just at least let me have the baby first and then we'll see what's going on with COVID because it was quite, you know, it was, it was looming and it seemed quite serious. And so, yeah, we had launched the petition, but we but we stayed silent about it. We didn't, you know, we didn't, we just thought maybe it's just not the right time. Cool. 
I remember my daughter was but three weeks old, if that, and George and seeing, you know, the murder of George Floyd. And then before you know it, our petition literally went viral. It it got picked up. We don't know how. We still don't know how, but it got picked up. And by the end of that week, we had a hundred thousand signatures on the petition. And by the time um it has closed 187,000 signatures. Um and it was a very bittersweet moment because it was almost like, well, we've been here for a long time, you know, being banging the drum. And it's almost like it wasn't until George Floyd murdered that the world woke up and realized that issues exist for black people and mm. black people exist full stop. Mm. Um, so that was quite a difficult one to navigate. It was quite like very bittersweet. But you know, on the flip side of that, gaining over a hundred thousand signatures meant that. It was debated in Parliament for the first time ever in its history. Again, there's something behind that. So Bell Ribeiro Addy, who is the chair of our Black Maternal um, Health APPG, has been supporting us right from the from, from the get-go. And it took her to raise her to talk about her experience of losing her child in um one of the uh, parliamentary sessions for um for the for the debate to actually come round, so we've been after the hundred thousand signatures, we were entitled for it to be you know debated in Parliament. But it took so long that Bell had to stand up and say her story and say, "I hope this will be debated soon." And before you knew it, we had a date. So even that was you know, um, golf issues of golf matters of golf were, de- were debated before ours were, even though ours was before. Take that how you want it. Um. So yeah, we we. We eventually had the debate in April of um, last year. And since then, we've had three different and separate um, debates in Parliament on Black maternal health, all with the um, intention of, you know, again, looking at what the evidence is telling us um, and trying to get a target put in because there's currently there is no target to end this um, for a number of reasons, which I honestly I can't say I understand, but we'll keep pushing. And yeah, so we have a Black Maternal Health APPG. So again, we approached um, a number of MPs and Belle was the one who really took took it. She ran with it. And we provide the secretariat for the Black Maternal Health APPG, which stands for All Party Parliamentary Group. And it's a um, group of MPs from the House of Commons and House of Lords who meet regularly to discuss these issues and raise them um, wherever possible. So that's what we do um, with the government. Um, when we, when, you know, when we say we lobby, we had a, a recent lobby actually, um, where we got MPs to sign up to the Black Maternal Health Pledge, following on from the three different reports that were released um, in the last, you know, sort of couple of months in in maternity space. Um, and so, yeah, we are, you know, again, just trying to hold those accountable who can actually change things. Let's say we have doctors listening to the show and they're really kind of moved by what you've shared, as they should be, and really kind of alarmed by the statistics that you've shared. What would your recommendations be for them uh, as to how they can change change things in their practices or the way that they relate to um, their Black um, patients? Um, I would definitely say... Like, I know at the moment things are really, really stretched. I know that midwives are leaving in their droves. Health professionals are leaving in their droves. I know that the NHS is, you know, 
quite flatlined at the moment. Um, but, you know, two things. Take women as individuals um, and, and really try to deliver that personalised care. Um, I think it's important to note that the black women are not a monolith and we, we're not, we don't all think the same, have the same thoughts, feelings, views. We are not just one big group of people. So that individualised individualized personalized care is really important um listening to the women um not just you know what's being said no not just how things are being said but what's being said is really important but also to remember that your words have the power to really build somebody up or bring them down so like even if you have a two three minute window with someone how you speak to them can really change the trajectory of how they feel and i remember um so i've had two children one negative experience hence why you know I was like I felt compelled to start five times more and one positive experience so remember I said I was pregnant around the time of you know the pandemic um and I gave birth to my my second in lockdown but it was the most beautiful experience despite being really really scared about covid and things like that going into hospital but it was the most beautiful experience because the midwife um she really empowered me to listen to my body um and it was just such a great feeling in comparison to the first time where I was telling the midwife, look, I, I need to push. And she was telling me, no, don't push. You're going to reverse everything. Also, I, I, I just realized I didn't actually say about, you know, kind of what led me to start five times more. But yeah, I had preeclampsia that was not um, picked up until very late in my pregnancy, which led me to be induced. And I had a very, very negative experience, um, which essentially led um my son to be delivered via assisted delivery not the end of the world but I just feel like it could have been avoided won't go into the ins and outs because you know trigger warnings and whatnot um but I just left that experience just feeling like I wasn't listened to and like I wasn't important versus the second time where the midwife was you know very attentive very patient with me and um really you know when I was like I feel like I need to push she was like right fine go with it go with it you know um and that felt very empowering for me. Hmm. So yeah, just knowing that your words have really do really have the the, the potential to, you know, really build somebody up and, hmm. and be mindful of that. And then on the flip side, what would you say to black women who are, you know, they're they're thinking about getting pregnant, um, or they are pregnant, but they are they're scared, you know, these statistics are scary. Um, what would you say? To them, how would you recommend that they advocate for themselves? So it's really funny. I'm always talking about this with my co-founder. Like, it's I feel like being a being a black woman, um, or birthing person, and knowing all these statistics are out there, and it can be very, very scary. Um, you know, the recent news that have come out, you know, has come out about a few people who have you know passed away and things like that, and and it can just feel very, very scary. And I say, you know, you've got two camps of women. You've got women who are like myself, were like, no, I need to find out everything. I need to know. I, I, I have to. Like the five, our first resource, the five times more steps were done when I was pregnant with my second because I know what happened to me during my first. And I was like, I'm, I just need to know absolutely everything. And then you've got other women who are like, you know what, I can't engage with that. I'm, I'm a bit worried I'm scared and I don't want to actually engage with anything negative I want to protect my space I want to protect my you know my aura and 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 I don't really want to engage both of those responses are obviously equally as valid and as important but I think it's just number one we always give this disclaimer whenever we give talks just remember to remember that 
actually maternal mortality, so death, is very rare in the UK. And actually the UK is still one of the safest places to give birth in the world. Um, There is unfortunately a disparity in who is dying and that's what we campaign for. But overall, maternal mortality is very, very low in the UK. So that's number one. But also that there are resources and there are things out there um, to help you, you know, um, sort of advocate for yourself or, or, or uh, on behalf of somebody if you need to. So we do have a lot of resources and a lot of um, things on our website that can help you do that. You know, what are the questions to ask your midwife? When should you go, when should you go to the hospital? How to um, advocate for yourself? We have, um, we offer free um, hypnobirthing with um, the Positive Birth Company as well. Um, so hundred black women every month get access to that free, free of charge. Normally, I think normally around 40 pounds. Um, there are things out there. Um, there are resources out there. So um, just not to be scared, not to be scared. Mm. Okay. So all of those resources that you shared will be linked in the show notes. So thank you so much for sharing those. I think what the work that you're doing here is amazing. And I'm so grateful for, for it. And I know that it's helped so many Black women and Black birthing people. What do you, what's your vision in the future? You know, is it a, do you want to get to the point where the organization is redundant? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) The work is heavy. I think a lot of people don't realize that we're actually, it's with two moms. Um, it's just the two of us that run five times more everyone thinks that we're a group of health professionals or we're a group of women actually it's just myself and Chloe so yes <laughs> we would like everything to you know go down we don't we don't actually want to exist and to the point where we, where we don't exist would mean that you know things are equitable you know at least get that target put in and make sure that that is reduced all the way down because like I said the overrepresentation of black women in those statistics is absolutely absolutely crazy and um yeah we we want things to become equitable um and we, we essentially want to get that target put in and things to go down because this is something I say quite regularly I if you cost your toe giving away my age about 31 years ago, when my mum gave birth to me here in this country as a black woman, she was more likely to die as a black woman, but they just didn't know how much because at the time they didn't collect data on ethnicity. Fast forward to when I had my son, five times more. I now have a daughter and I don't want her to be campaigning about the same thing. You know, in 25, 30 years, whenever she desires to give birth, if she chooses to give birth, I don't want her to be campaigning about the same thing. I think the buck stops here. And now that, you know, it's in the forefront and we're keeping it on the top of the agenda, we can keep things moving. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that the the vision is to really, we don't want to exist. Um, yeah. we, we don't. If not, if not to uh, give women resources, and of course, yes, yeah. for that. And but, yeah, we we we. Um, it's a lot of work, and um, I just feel like we want to get to a place where we don't even have to do this anymore. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I think that I. I mean, I'm grateful for the work that you do, and I've actually referred a few clients to in your direction. Like, look at your resource, your website. Look at your resources. Um, but yeah, the hope is that it, you don't have to do this work in the future. Um, so what what next? You know, you you're doing advocacy, you're doing all of this um, work with the government. Um, what do you have coming up in the next year? 
In the next year, we'll be launching our learning hub, which will be an online hub filled with um, culturally sensitive information on what to expect. You know, can you perm your hair or not? Like that's not the big thing. Like people don't really talk about, and you know, it can affect you. Um, like skincare, um, nutrition. That's culturally relevant. Because yeah. um, <laughs> I don't know about you, I don't eat kale every day. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm eating plantain, pounded jam. I'm eating all these things. Like what's what's good? What's in moderation? What can we do? How can we stay healthy and um, you know and prepare? for um for pregnancy and beyond um things that pertain to us so yeah we are working on that at the moment which we'll be launching at some point um early next year um and yeah what you know what we normally do our awareness week awareness month and continuing on with the partnerships um to you know bring out more resources and more things for black women and birthing people fantastic also when is the awareness month um it will be in April April okay okay great so you shared a lot you've shared your period story you've touched on your birth stories um and you've shared the amazing advocacy work that you do what's the one thought that you'd like to leave listeners with today um oh that's a good question (laughs) (laughs) I guess how do I tie everything um in together trust your gut Mm that's our first um step on our um one of the steps actually on our first ever resource trust your gut nobody knows your body better than you and I guess it ties in with the you know me going and seeking a blood test because I knew that actually something's not quite right here um I need to seek additional help and if not kick and scream and cry and do whatever I need to do to make sure I get that help because I know in my body something's not right but trust your gut trust your gut because nobody actually is in your body can feel your pain can feel what you're feeling trust your gut and speak up brilliant trust your gut I love that so much thank you so much for coming on the show today thank you so much for the work that you do For more inspiring conversations, head over to periodstorypod.com where we have so many more for you to peruse. If you want help with your menstrual or hormone health, email me on hello at eatlovemove.com to set up a free 30-minute hormone health review. If you like today's show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Tag us, come say hi, and send in your requests for who you'd like to see on the show on Instagram and Twitter on at periodstorypod or email us at hello at periodstorypod.com. I'm Lenise Brothers, and you've been listening to Period Story. Thank you so much for listening.